Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Jesus claims to be the Good Shepherd. It's a lovely, idealized image for those of us who are completely unacquainted with taking care of sheep. What was Jesus getting at? One of the ways into this text is to consider who he was talking to. He claims to be the Good Shepherd, in contrast to whom? Let's join Curtis as he looks at John 10. Hey, good morning. Today we're going to look at John chapter 10, if you'd like to turn to it in your Bible. And to those of you listening to the recording, welcome. Good morning to you. We use figures of speech and little proverbs in language all the time, probably without even realizing how often we use it. A phrase like, there's no time like the present, means there's no point delaying the task, tackle it now. A stitch in time saves nine, means Taking care of something right now might save you a lot of work later. Like, we use these, lang- these little, little phrases all the time. What happens if a person doesn't understand the figure of speech? Let's say they're from another country, or they use another language which doesn't have the same kind of phrase. Well, then the proverb won't make any sense, or the full weight of it won't be communicated, right? I was taking a friend on a hike to the white shell, and I told him, leaves of three, let it be. What is that a warning for? Poison ivy. So he had not heard that phrase, and he was not aware of poison ivy. Leaves of three, let it be. So we were talking about, you're all, it's going to be in your head for the rest of yeah. That's not what I need you to remember today. <laughs> this is what I need you to remember. In his birth country, there is a phrase which, when translated, says, a crooked load does not reach its destination. A crooked load does not reach its destination. Which means, if you're loading packs or gear on an animal, like a camel or a donkey, the weight must be distributed evenly, or eventually it will slide off. A crooked load does not reach its destination. But how it's applied, it means, a person who has some evil intent in their thinking will not get where they want to go. Someone with crooked thinking will not get the goal that they are wishing for. A crooked load doesn't reach its destination. It's a great little phrase. I asked him to say it in his language and it was not anything that would stick in my head that I could repeat. (laughs) So today we're going to look at John chapter 10, a very famous passage where Jesus uh, says he is the good shepherd. But it starts with a parable about taking care of sheep. So let me ask, how many of you are shepherds? How many of you have taken care of sheep, but you don't use a barn, you sleep with the sheep at night? So we've got a problem we have to overcome because this is not our culture for this little phrase. How many of you uh, see sheep being taken care of and shepherds sleeping with their sheep overnight, that it's part of your understanding. None of us. So Jesus is giving the people he's talking to this image to help them understand who he is in contrast to other leaders and in contrast even to themselves. And it's an image that for them, they would go, oh, this makes total sense. It's locked in their mind. You know, leaves of three, let it be. It would be locked in their mind. He's the good shepherd. But for us, we're going to have to do a little bit of digging and a little bit of work to understand the equivalent or understand the meaning of what he was getting at. 
So maybe as we read the passage, we'll start with this question. If Jesus says he is the good shepherd, who is the bad shepherd? Or what is a bad shepherd? That question will already help us get into this text. So we're going to read it. Last week, John chapter 9 was the story of Jesus healing a man born blind. Chapter 10 comes right off of that story. So we're going to back up and start with chapter 9, verse 35, and we'll continue. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they, the community of Jews in Jerusalem, had thrown him, the blind man, out. And when he found the blind man, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of him, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So we'll stop there. 
There are many, you're smiling already. <laughs> there are many types of, it's very affirming. There are many types of sheep pens. Some are like a fenced yard attached to a house. Others in more open spaces are like a stone wall laid out in a circle. And there might be branches from a thorn bush on top of that wall, kind of the original barbed wire to keep any danger out. And there would be a single opening, perhaps with a gate. And at night, when the shepherds want to get some sleep, they would bring the sheep into this pen so that they can be safe and they can get some rest. And there might be several flocks brought into a single pen overnight. Now, sheep are skittish animals. They are very suspicious of strangers. My sister and brother-in-law had sheep just a couple years ago, and I would go into the barn with John to feed them, and they were very eager to see him and relaxed and friendly, and he could walk in the pen, but they would just stand back and look at me. Um, and one of them, whose name I think was Latte, because uh, that was the color, was more brave or more friendly. And she would take a step or two closer, not too close, and would make eye contact with me. And I could talk with her and she would look like she was listening to me. Um, but if I moved ever too quickly, like if I was to offer her some hay, the other sheep in the pen would just jump in anxiety and, and back up. Like, we don't know who you are. We don't like that you're here. But sheep know their owners. So in the morning, in the pen with all the other sheep, a shepherd could go in and call his sheep. And they quickly get up and line up behind him. And they really do line up behind him. And the shepherd would then lead them out through the gate and into the day's grazing. Ah, but there are bandits. There are bad guys, because sheep are worth money. There are thieves and robbers, and they also want to get at the sheep. In the Greek, the word thief includes the idea of trickery, someone who gets people to trust them for their own gain, the con artist. And in the Greek, the word robber includes the idea of violence. They plunder, they take things and often as part of a gang. These folks don't enter through a gate. They climb in over a wall. It's a little like the difference between a person who enters your apartment building through the front door versus the person who goes in through the window. The person who climbs over a wall or comes in through a window, what do you suppose they want? What do you suppose they're up to? So Jesus uses this figure of speech or this type of proverb to explain who he is compared to other people. And he gives them this image. There is a proper shepherd, there are sheep, and there are thieves and robbers. But the folks who are listening don't understand what he's getting at. They don't understand what he means. And as I thought about it, I could not think of a really good equivalent analogy for our culture. Um, who are shepherds in this way for us? I thought, well, maybe an apartment manager um, who helps you, you know, keeps the building locked so you can sleep well at night. Perhaps a good employer or a fair caseworker worker who makes sure that you can get the money that you need so that you can live fairly, you know, you can get to good pasture. Maybe a shepherd is like a good parent or a good mentor, maybe a good coach who knows how you are and how you are doing really well and can kind of guide you. 
but there's not a real clean analogy for the shepherd in our culture. You know, maybe the question to ponder is who claims to be your shepherd or who do you look to to be your shepherd in this way? So instead, let's ponder who he's talking to. It appears that he's talking to the Pharisees from the previous chapter, the folks who claimed to have sight but were unable to see who Jesus was and didn't treat the blind man properly. What made the Pharisees blind? Like, why could they not see who Jesus was? Well, Jesus didn't fit their understanding of how the world is supposed to work. Jesus disrupted their religion and disrupted their way of life. He disrupted their framework for how God and people and it all laid out. Um, And yet, they were the ones who claimed to be spiritual guides, but Jesus was messing it all up for them. I've said this before, a, a real good equivalent for a Pharisee in today's world would be a, a, a strong moral political group because Pharisees were as political as much as they were moral. People who have that approach of, if we all have these morals and we behave this way, then our nation will be great and will be restored. And we can recognize that moral political group. In fact, I was thinking this morning, I think today politics dances more around morality than almost anything else. Another option for a Pharisee, or in this context, a Pharisee, would be anybody who claims to be your authority. Anybody who claims to be your authority. Whoever promises you a good life if you follow them. Anyone who promises that they will make your life work and you'll be successful if you do what they say. Uh, There are always people who are trying to get control of other people the people who want your allegiance. So let's ponder that. People who want to get control of the sheep. One writer said, people want to get control of others out of anxiety. That uh, they're afraid if they are not in charge, they will then not get what they want. And so that anxiety drives them to control others. And I thought, well, that sounds like almost everybody I know. Another writer said, Getting control of others is about making the outside world match internal ideals. And I really liked that idea. I thought it applied well to the Pharisees Jesus was speaking to and yet really applies well to today. We all have an internal framework of how life should work. What is right and what is wrong? How do I get what I want? What is of most importance? So the drive to control others Uh, is, you know, that drive to control how they behave, how they speak, how they think, is to get that outside world to line up with that internal framework. So we become controlling. You know, I, I command you to behave this way so that I am okay inside. And then what does this kind of control look like? You know, people who insist on having things their way. People who refuse to accept blame. Uh, people who need to be the center of attention. Uh, Perhaps they're unpredictable. They lie or they twist what is going on. They need to be in charge of money. They dictate where other people can go. Brings us back to a crooked load does not reach its destination. There are people who are trying to get other people's trust for their own benefit. 
thieves. Now, some of you might be thinking of specific other folks who do this to you right now. But others of you might be thinking of yourself and when you are like this. Uh, when Jesus was telling this story, he was speaking to people who needed to realize they were the thieves and the robbers, that they were the ones trying to get control of the sheep. And so the, rather than saying, who does this to me, the better question is, who do I do this to? When am I the thief and the robber? When am I trying to get people to do what I want them to do so I am okay inside? That I'm trying to get them to trust me for my own gain. Are you the thief and the robber? Once we can see that or be willing to consider when we are the thief and the robber, we then can see Jesus saying, in contrast, I am a good shepherd. He is the shepherd, meaning he's in charge of the sheep. He's responsible for the well-being and is responsible for the life of the sheep. And he is good. And good doesn't just mean morally good. There's, the word good is, is a big, thick word. It means morally good. It means admirable, commendable. It means beautiful and noteworthy and approved and noble. It's a big word. So let's look at what the text says about why Jesus is good. And there's sort of four areas. First, he's good because he is the gate. He is the proper way. Those who go through him will be saved or will be kept safe. They will have life and have it to the fullest extent. And the image here is extending beyond the experience of this life, but really pushing into the age to come. He is the gate into the kingdom of God. He is the gate into the age to come. He is the gate into a world renewed. Um, but it also includes that he is the one who cares for you now. He is the one who is your shepherd and can oversee you now. Instead of trying to take life from you, like the thief and the robber, he is trying to give you life. He's trying to enable you to have the fullest of life. So that there's a line in verse 9, they will come in and go out and find safe pasture, which is a really interesting choice of words. Because back in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, right when Moses was about to die, he prays. And he says, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all humankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So if that's a distinct connection, that when John wrote this passage, he was distinctly, or when Jesus spoke it, he was distinctly connecting it with Moses, it means Jesus is saying, I'm the one Moses prayed for. Um, and the Pharisees, if they knew their scripture, should have been able to go, wait, I've heard that phrase from before. And in Moses' time, that prayer was answered in the person of Joshua. Joshua was the person who followed Moses. But the name Jesus is so closely tied to the name Joshua that it's just one of those too obvious to miss. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the gate. And good here means he's the right one. He's the correct one. If you want into the kingdom, Jesus is the door. 
He then says, he is good because he lays down his life for the sheep. A thief will steal your life. He looks to take your life. A hired person will run away. But the good shepherd will stay and fight to protect your life. So this word good includes the idea of nobility and worthy. Jesus will go into battle for you. When the wolves and the bears come, he will brace his feet into the ground, pick up his sword, and fight for you. And the text says that he lays down his life and takes it up again. That means he cannot be permanently killed, which means he will never lose the battle. You are safe. The wolf and the bear want to come and kill the shepherd so they can have free access, unrestricted access to the sheep but they can never kill the shepherd. They will never have unrestricted access to the sheep. You are safe. So he's good. The good shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. And here we see good as the idea of beautiful and lovely. The word to know here means intimacy and trust as well as just fact. You know, that idea of you don't just know about each other, but you know each other such that you trust deeply. And in the Greek mindset, to know deeply was found by contemplating, by thinking, by pondering. You know that experience when someone or something catches your attention and it just rolls around in your mind? You know, you're just thinking about the person or you're thinking about that thing and it's just rolling around in your mind, contemplating. That's the Greek idea of to know. In the Hebrew mindset, to know was found in the experience of relating with someone talking with them, the sound of their voice, the way they smelt, the way they reacted in crisis, the way they laughed. Both ideas are at play here, to contemplate and ponder and also to know in the dynamics of relationship. I happen to be listening to a book on a shepherd, about a shepherd right now, just happen chance. And in it, he, in it, he talks about knowing his sheep. And he just says, I know which one is shepherd. I know which sheep is stubborn. I know which one has an injury. I know which ones eat the most, and I know which ones sleep the most. I know which ones are weaker, and I know which ones are clever and, and a bit smart. Like Jesus knows his sheep. And if you think about your friends, you know your friends in the same way too. And then finally, he is the good shepherd because he is fulfilling the Father's command. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. The Father, God the Father, wants the sheep to have their needs met. He wants the sheep to be cared for well. And Jesus is loved or deeply appreciated by the Father because he's doing what the Father wants done. You know that experience when you have something really important that has to get done? And then you go to do it and find out someone's already done it for you. And you're just, you're just so appreciative and you sigh a big sigh of relief. So the word good here is commended, approved. And we know that these verses also point towards the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus dealt with the problem of sin, which is the ultimate problem that sheep encounter. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He's morally good. He's worthy or noble. He's beautiful and lovely. He's commended. He's approved. Which is quite the difference from the thieves and the robbers.
So if Jesus is the good shepherd and we realize that sometimes we are the crooked load that won't reach its destination, we realize that sometimes we are the thief and the robber, what's the response? What do you do about it? So in the text, Jesus is speaking to people who assumed they were guides and authorities, people who believed they had the right to make commands of others. And so as he lays out who he is, he's trying to get them to make a realization. <clears throat> and you could word the question like this, are you gonna be a sheep or are you gonna be a thief and a robber? Because those are your two options. Are you gonna be a sheep or are you gonna be the thief and the robber? If you're a sheep, it means you must follow this shepherd. Every time you go in or go out, you must follow this shepherd. Every time you want water or some food or you're producing wool or you're looking to make some lambs, you need to follow this shepherd. So you might think of it as, how would the shepherd lead me at any particular moment in my day? How would the shepherd have me behave in any particular situation? How I talk with this person, how I do this activity. You ever had a conversation with someone and when it was over, you felt off somehow, like something within you was saying that was not the right way? Do you know that experience? It's possible that that's the spirit of Jesus prompting you to reconsider that moment, that in that moment, you were not following the shepherd. So we evaluate, you, you consider for yourself, what did I say? How did I act? What was my agenda? How would Jesus instead have had me relate? How would he have changed my agenda? I was in a conversation this week that went sour just for 20 seconds. Um, but inside, I, I got all prickly um, in the conversation. And then when it was done, you know, five minutes later, I went back and apologized that, that something went wrong there. And... Um, the next day when I was reflecting on my behavior, I, I, every morning I reflect on my previous day's behavior, I thought, okay, what, what happened there? Because I, I actually feel like I was in the right. It didn't, I didn't communicate it properly, but I felt like I was in the right. And Jesus said, well, what was your agenda? And I realized my agenda was I didn't want to deal with that problem that was being forced upon me. So I was trying to shut, shut it down. I'm like, oh, wait, I was in the wrong <laughs> because my... I had a crooked load. My mind was not in the right space. So this question, if you're, a she if you're a sheep, how do I follow Jesus in every moment? How would he have me behave? Or will I be a thief and a robber trying to get other people to behave in a certain way so that my internal wor world works? So let me conclude. Jesus gave us this little figure of speech about sheep and their shepherd. And he said it to people who needed to realize they were the thieves and robbers in the story, trying to get control of others so that life could work the way they wanted it to. A crooked load will not reach its destination. If you remember that phrase today, you've caught the whole sermon. In contrast, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the gate. He's the way to life, life in the fullest. He lays down his life for you. He engages in battle for you rather than trying to steal your life. He knows the sheep by name and they know him. 
and he is fulfilling the Father's command to provide proper care for the sheep. Are we sheep in that practice of living every day? Are we sheep? Are we following? Or are we the thieves and robbers trying to get control of others so that things will work out the way we want? So what catches your attention in all this? What um, has either landed on you in an interesting way or how is this shifting your thinking or how has this caught your attention? Curtis, I have a question for you. Um, what exactly does the word good mean in that passage? Like All of what I said. Yeah, no, I'm serious. Like yeah. if and you go into the Greek and you look up the word good, it was all, it, it was all of those... Uh, approved, morally correct, lovely, admirable. It's all, that's what the word mm -hmm. good means. Because in English, that certainly seems to understate the point because um, we would consider a good shepherd one who was there for the sheep and when the wolves came, he would do the best to protect the sheep. But when push came to shove, he'd jolly well protect his own life. Right? That's how we work. So. I think maybe in English it might be better to use the word um, excellent shepherd or perhaps the best possible shepherd ever <laughs> because he gave up his life. He literally gave up his life for a sheep, which is pretty amazing. And he says it over and over and over again, that passage. I didn't count, but I think it's three or four times. Yep. yep. And it must have been really interesting for the uh, disciples to reflect on this later on and say, yeah, he did give up. Well, what, what about this? He said he'd give up his life and he would take it again? Oh, now we understand. Yeah. It's really a very fascinating um, passage. Yeah, I wonder if perfect shepherd would also tie into that excellent shepherd, perfect shepherd. Yeah, something better than better good. Better than the word good. Good is just not quite cut. Not good enough. See yeah. what I did there? <laughs> My nephew's not on. He would love that kind of thing. today is very interesting. There's one thing sometimes, though, that strikes me of... It's really obvious that we separate ourselves from God. Like, even when we are reading these stories of, yeah, we're this and God's that. And I remember, I think it was a year ago now, you spoke on holiness and it just like rocked my world. I'm just like, I still think about it to this day. Um, and, and anyways, I, it's interesting because what I hear is, do you want to be connected to God or do you want to be connected to your peers in the world? And, and that's, you, you have a choice. It's not that you, you're a sheep and you need to follow and, and then it's like your behaviors, right? associating with like your behaviors of following or your behaviors with being a thief, but it's like your actual connection. Do you, do you want to believe that you're connected to God or, or do you want to be connected to the world first and foremost? Neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because so, again, he's using an image and an analogy that's out of our culture. So to kind of dig deeper, yeah, beautiful, fantastic. I like that. I was waiting for something I could nod to in the beginning because, like, I know sheep. I would, you do, you know, but but not not what not like that whole like sleep with them, live with them lifestyle thing. Wow, 
I mean, that does still happen some places in the world. It's pretty fascinating. But North American shepherds do not do that. It's not something that even our whole culture understands. We have a tendency like the Australians to run a lot of sheep and run them in a big space with a fence that looks after them instead of us. Like it's a whole different approach. So even just our mental way that we think about livestock in general, does not fit this right. passage. Right. That super personal, like those sheep, um, I remember seeing some footage of like, we think, we think I'm going to take the sheep out to graze and there's going to be this lush green English pasture with these fluffy white sheep. That is not Jesus parameters. That's not where he was living. They we talk about rotational grazing. They had to pro pro practice essentially rotational grazing because the, the, the forage, the grass and other things they could eat was so thin and sparse in those areas that the shepherds would take the, the sheep out and let them be in an area and then they would need to move them on because the sheep would just eat it all off and then they'd have to leave that area for a while and probably part of the what the shepherds did in the evenings when they came together in one place they're like okay i did the whole west side today so don't even bother going there okay let's all go east tomorrow you know because they knew that they had to spread out and the sheep were actually relying on them for their life because it's not like they were just knee deep in in grass all everywhere they went that is not their their thing and they couldn't just wander around and find water the shepherds had to know where to take them the sheep's lives were literally in the in the shepherd's hands in the middle east and in a various and in the really rural rural places the um i think that the sh the shepherds also depended on the sheep for their life it was very interesting because the sheep provided um milk wolf for the for tents and for clothes and for and for for rope things like that their bones would be used for utensils and for you know needles and all kinds of stuff and and essentially they they provided sort of the elements of the basis of civilization to the shepherd and his family so it was really a symbiotic relationship very close yeah very cool i was trying to think of how to help you guys remember this talk and I thought, what if I got Christine to bring some wool in and put a fan behind it so that you would smell wool? And my sister suggested, my sister suggested manure might be the stronger. I'm like, okay, let's find a different approach for this talk. <laughs> Whenever you know, scripture refers to us as sheep, I kind of cringe. Uh, um, Sheep aren't too bright. No, they're not. <laughs> that that uh, they're pretty. Cattle, you can let them run loose and go in the fall and round them up. Pigs, you can let them run loose and you can, you know, they'll, they'll figure things out for themselves. Sheep, unless you put them in a controlled environment, they're not going to survive. Yeah. You know, like say, you know, you know in. Today, the way people, you know, run sheep is and you know, like, you know huge flocks, but it's got to be fenced and so on, because if they get out, they're, they're done. That, that uh, anyway, <laughs> that. Um, you asked who are the shepherds today, and you know, what struck me was that there's a lot of pastors that frame themselves that way. And, and um, Yeah, I was trying to avoid that one. Yeah, yeah. It's no, but can we pause on that for a second? Sure. I, I avoided it specifically because this passage is not trying to talk about uh, elders and shepherds and pastors of the church. It's not trying to talk about the church. 
It's trying to talk about Jesus and the Pharisees. And so to say, well, then, you know, to, to go, well, and this is why pastors need to be good shepherds, isn't, the, isn't this text. And it's important when we read scripture to say, what is this text trying to say, you know, on its, in its own, what is it trying to say, rather than where do I want to apply it? I'm always pleased that you don't frame yourself that way. <laughs> Let me offer a prayer then. And, um, and then we'll close with the song. Father, Father, I praise you this morning for a really neat time together so far. I thank you for that invitation that Leah started with to um, let go of our control, our anxiety, and rest, which creates space, no, is an expression of connecting with you, of honoring you. I thank you the way the music has danced around this idea of being honest and the struggle sometimes of, of being honest and being okay. And I thank you for this passage that uh, I've always seen it Lord, separate from who he's talking to. You know, I'm the good shepherd, but we've never, I've never seen it connected to who he's trying to address. Thank you for that challenge and realizing that we are all left on our own, robbers and thieves. Um, Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are the excellent shepherd, the perfect shepherd. And we need you to lead us in our comings and goings in finding water and food and living our day. And we are so thankful that as we live life now, you, you just continue to expand our experience, our experience with life so that it moves into eternal life in the age to come. Thank you. We praise you um, for what you do for us. And Jesus then I would ask that you would help us to follow you well, to be connected with you well, truthfully, um, as we live our days. Please encourage us, Holy Spirit, please encourage us this week, giving us the guidance we need to do what our hearts desire to do in following you. And for all of this, may you receive glory, may you be praised, May, may, may your glory shine on earth because of this. So, Jesus, we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.